Welcome to Day of Destiny with Dr. Michelle Corral, author, prophetic teacher, and pastor of Breath of the Spirit Prophetic Word Center. Dr. Corral can be seen weekly, nationwide, and around the world on her weekly telecasts that air on God TV, Impact, and Word Network. Now, let's join Dr. Corral by experiencing Day of Destiny, designed with your highest destiny in mind. Now, here is Dr. Corral. Tonight, we're not going to take any, waste any time. We're going to go right to the gospel according to Matthew. Tonight, we are going to be speaking to you about birthing the blessing. And we're going to begin with Matthew's gospel. Now, in Matthew's gospel, if you uh, follow with me in the scripture, Matthew's gospel is going to present to us a genealogy. Luke gives us a genealogy also. When we're talking about the infancy narrative, what are we speaking about? We're speaking about the birth of Christ. Now, we do not have the birth of Christ in all four gospels. We do not have the birth of Christ. We have the birth of Christ in Matthew, but we do not have it in Mark. We do not have an infancy narrative in John. We only have two of the Gospels that show us the infancy narrative. We have the Gospel according to Matthew and the Gospel according to Luke. Mark's Gospel begins with prepare the way of the Lord, John the Baptist in his ministry. And John's Gospel begins with in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. So it actually shows us the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the two infancy narratives are extremely critical. Why? We don't read the Bible like a newspaper. We're not going to read the Bible like an encyclopedia. We're not just going to read so we know it happened. Say this with me. I do not want to read the text so I know it happened. I want to learn something. How many want to learn something about the birth of Christ? Hallelujah. How many of you want to follow what the Bible is showing us and really understand what was the author's objective? All right. So the first thing that we need to do when we read a narrative in the scripture is that we need to find out in, an, in, a, in a literal sense of scripture, what is the author's intent? Why did the author write it? And what is the author's intent? And we must understand when we study the genre in the gospel, according to Matthew, we begin with a genealogy and it's a very unusual genealogy. We get genealogies all throughout the Bible. And oftentimes we think they're so boring and so insignificant, but I want you to know there is nothing in the Bible that is not personal, powerful, prophetic, or relevant. So they say this with me, everything in scripture is personal, powerful, prophetic, and relevant. All right. So the genealogy of in Matthew's gospel is going to serve as a preface to the power of the birth of Christ. This preface that is written in the genealogy is going to substantiate and authenticate the courage of Joseph and Mary. Now, if you've been studying scripture with us and Torah with us for many years or for just a short time, you will know that the Bible, whenever um, a biblical hero or heroes are going to be presented, 
Whenever we see someone coming into the exaltation of their destiny, we are always going to see what? What are we going to see? A resume. We're always going to see a biblical resume. Say that with me, a biblical resume. Okay, we saw a biblical resume for the sake of those who don't know what a biblical resume is. Whenever there is going to be someone that is going to ascend to heights in destiny in the Bible, the Bible always presents to us a resume. No one gets a free pass to destiny. Can you say that with me? No one gets a free pass to destiny. Okay, there's always a proving process to destiny. Can you say that? Okay, even Isaac, the son of Abraham, has to go through the test. Every person in the Bible that comes into a place of the exaltation of destiny, they have to go through the examination that will bring them into a place of qualification for destiny. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. You let, let me give you an example. Sometimes those resumes are very small. Sometimes those resumes, a resume, remember, is a statement. It is a document that gives the person, if you are going to hire them for a position, it gives the person's qualifications, doesn't it? It tells you all of the reasons why the person is qualified for the job, correct? All right. Now, the Bible is going to show us in terms of character. The Bible doesn't show us talents. The Bible doesn't show us gifts. A person is not elected into the place or position of destiny based on talents, based on who they are, even based on pedigree. All right. Even though Isaac is the son of promise, he has to go through the test too. And that's what Genesis 26 is all about. That's why he had to move from place to place in order not to strive with the Philistines and rather surrendered the wells, took losses, surrendered the wells that rightfully belonged to him than to get into strife with the Philistines. Are you with me? It qualified him for the position of taking over the Abrahamic covenant. The, the matriarchs of Israel, they don't get a pay, free pass either. Every one of the matriarchs of Israel, there is a resume given to us. For example, what's the resume of Rebecca? Rebecca is the wife of Isaac. The Bible goes out of its way in Genesis chapter 24 to tell us she had to pass a test called the Hesed test. Why? Because Abraham's family walked in love, walked in integrity, walked in honor, and she had to be found worthy of it. So the Bible's going to show us a test. It doesn't look like a test. It looks like a narrative. But it's really a test. When Eleazar goes into her village and says the prayer and says, Lord, let the woman by whom I say, um, give me a little water to drink, she will say, I'll not only give you water to drink, but I'm going to give your camels also. You know, that's a major thing because in biblical times, camels to, to water camels was an all day affair. Okay, if you had camels, a camel literally has the um, ability in their stomachs to hold 22 gallons of water. 
So if you are going to automatically volunteer to water somebody's camels when they didn't even ask you, just because you're kind, shows us that the Bible is showing us the character trait of kindness is one of the greatest character traits for election into destiny. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. Yeah. No, it's not how much scripture you know. No, it is not who you associate with. No, it is not how you shout hallelujah. It is your character that's going to qualify you for the position that God has for you. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. So the Bible is going to present to us uh, the, the longest resume that we have in scripture is King David. King David is qualified from 1 Samuel chapter 16 all the way to chapter 31. It's nothing but character traits. It's a clashing contrast between the character traits God uses and the character traits God refuses. Put your hands up and say, I don't want any of those character traits that God refuses. Come on, people, be serious about your destiny. Are you really serious about 2023? Are you just playing games? Turn to your neighbor and say, I don't have time to play games in 2023. I've been around this mountain long enough. I've got to get on to my destiny. Hello, saints. All right, so we have to understand that character is something so important. It's something we work on our entire life. So if the Bible spent 1 Samuel chapter 16 all the way to 31, developing a clashing contrast between Saul and David, David's restraint, self-restraint, this was his greatest character trait. Self-restraint, not to get angry at a man who is out homicidally to murder him. Hello, somebody. Somebody who's a raving maniac who wants to murder him, who has spread lies about him throughout the kingdom. And he, his test is not to say one evil word about him. Hello, somebody. I said his test is to not gossip, not to refer to him in an evil way, but to only bless his enemy. Are you with me, saints? You see, this thing of destiny is something so holy, something so powerful that it's not cheap. It's not something you just get because you shout hallelujah. There's a price to pay for destiny. There is a price to pay for what God has for you. There's a price to pay. Are you with me, saints? If you are, say amen. Put your hands up right now and say, Lord, I'm willing to pay the price. Come on, I'm willing to pay the price. Woo! Do you understand what I'm talking about tonight? We got to get past the immaturity immaturity let's just put an x through it right now okay immaturity gossip vain imaginations retaliation with our enemy just get over it we got to get over it okay we got to spend time in prayer and ask god to get us over our oversensitivities turn to your neighbor and say no more getting my back ruffled over nothing in 2023 hello somebody Hello, somebody. No more getting offended over somebody saying boo to you the wrong way. Hello, somebody. Can I get a witness? 
We don't have time to be touchy. The days of being touchy are over unless you want to spend another year wasting your time. I don't know about you, but I don't want to spend another year wasting time. I want to get on with what God's ordained. Hallelujah. All right. So therefore, understanding the concepts of destiny, understanding that Esther had to qualify for destiny too. She didn't get a free pass either. And guess what? She wasn't queen because she was the most beautiful one. That's not why she got there. She got there because the Bible tells us she obeyed Mordecai in everything that he said. Hello, somebody. So in obedience to Mordecai, God says, this is a gal I can trust. Because when I tell her to go before the king, she's going to be obedient. Are you with me, saints? Say it with me. Resume. Okay, I want to know what's on your resume. Well, first of all, thank God we got the blood of Jesus on our resume. Hallelujah. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, I have on my resume, not my righteousness, but his. Yes. Come on. I've got on my resume, not my righteousness, but his. But guess what? We got to do our part too. Okay. So the days of gossiping. The days of being touchy, just say water off a duck's back. No, sometimes it's hard. It's okay. That's what you got a prayer closet for. Okay, you can just cry your little heart out for a couple of days. Get it off your chest. Put the burden on Jesus. He already bore it for you. He's a friend. He'll take it. Hallelujah. And you get relief from it, but don't you carry that thing around because your anointing is not to carry around a burden like that. Your burden is for souls, not for how somebody offended you. Are you with me? So they gossiped about you. Praise God. They gossiped about Jesus too. Face the facts. If you're going to be in ministry, that's part of it. Hello, somebody. I said that's part of it. I said that's part of it. You didn't hear me. You want me to butter you guys up, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to get you ready for your destiny. Are you with me? Hallelujah. All right. I know you don't want me to butter you up. I'm just saying that. Y'all are so precious. Is there anybody more precious than breath of the spirit people? I don't think so. Somebody ought to give God the praise for every single one of you. All right. There surely is not. All right. Now, saints, the genealogy is listed not just to tell us who the descendants are only. This is a very important key component. But we're going to see in the genealogy, there are four women. And these four women are extremely important because they're extremely controversial. And they play a key role in the delivery of the destiny. This is the biblical resume that is here. It is a preface before we meet Mary and Joseph. Because they have to have, they have, to have a resume. Okay, so we're going to see... The biblical resume that scripture presents to us that qualifies Mary, 
And we are going to see the biblical resume that qualifies Joseph. How many of you would like to see that? How many of you would like to see into the scriptures? Because they are the ones chosen from heaven to raise the Messiah. And I don't know about you, but I'd like to know a little bit about their background so I can follow in their footsteps. Are you with me? All right. All right. So we have the gospel. Now, the agenda of Matthew is that he's going to set what's called um, a thesis. Okay. Usually, most of the authors of scripture give us a thesis. A thesis is an argument. By an argument, I don't mean they have a critical argument and, and bickery. By an argument, I mean they're presenting their case. And in this case, we see the preface in the genealogy as extremely important as supporting evidence, if you will, behind what the author is going to show us about Mary and Joseph. It's extremely important. All right. So let us begin, beloved saints. And first of all, I want us to understand, which God wants you to know before we look at this genealogy, that there are two types of travail. There is biological travail and there is spiritual travail. Whenever there is a birth that is going to take place, there is first travail. I want you, first of all, to understand, dear people of God, that when we are looking at this word birth, I want us to understand that in a Hebrew sense of scripture, the word the word for giving birth is very similar or breaking forth is very similar to the Hebrew word mourning. The word mourning in Hebrew is the word boker, but the word bakar, which means to break forth is the root of the word mourning. Remember every Hebrew word has a concept behind it. So the concept of mourning is not just high, it's daytime. That is not the concept of mourning in Hebrew. The concept of mourning is bakar. Something has broken forth. As a new day has broken forth. Light has broken forth out of the darkness. It's the same word that is used when there is a birth. So it is as if every morning becomes a birth of a new day, becomes a birth of a new time. Are you with me? I share that with you so you can understand in the Bible, birth is not just biological. Birth is also spiritual. And this is why what I'm about to share with you, birthing the blessing, is not just for women. It is also for men. Let me share with you from the gospel, uh, from the book of Galatians. Go with me to Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, very quickly, for referencing. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, beloved saints, we see my little children. This is Paul speaking. Of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Do you see that? All right. So Paul is speaking about a spiritual travail like giving birth, but it's to the church at Galatia. Do you all understand that? So we're seeing that birth is not limited only to something biological. The spiritual birth can be something that men and women both participate in. 
All right, let's look at another example. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15. We are going to see Paul again speaking as if he is a spiritual father and that he is given birth. Notice what the Bible says in verse 15. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you have not many fathers. Watch this. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you in the gospel. So he is saying, I have literally given birth to the church of Corinth, and I have given birth and travailed for the church in Galatia. Are you seeing that? Did you see it? Put your hands up right now, because today I believe that men and women are going to receive a vision for 2023. And that vision is going to come forth from your very loins as if you birthed it. Hallelujah. God is going to put it in your spirit. The word that you are hearing tonight is going to come inside of you. And that word is going to cause you to begin to become filled with destiny. Somebody ought to give God the praise. All right. Let us look at one more. Look at Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 6, so that we can see this happens to both men and women. Hallelujah. I'm only showing men. I'm not showing women because we already know what happens to women, but I want the brethren to feel comfortable. I don't want them to think this is a sister's message. This is for everybody. Hallelujah. Somebody ought to shout the victory. All right. Ask now to see whether a man does travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail? Hello, somebody. Do you understand? This means that there is a place in prayer. There is a place in vision. There is a place in purpose, whether male or female, that God will bring into a place. Some people say, what does travail mean? There are several words in the Hebrew language that mean travail. One of the words that means travail, you will find in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 3. Let's look at it just for a moment. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 3. I want you to see it. It's the Hebrew word inyan. Say it with me, inyan. Look at this text. This text is quite unusual. It says, for a dream cometh through a multitude of business. What does that mean? We're looking at that and we say, oh, yeah, okay, a dream comes through corporate planning business. But guess what? That word business is the same word that is used throughout Ecclesiastes for the word travail. So it literally means a dream comes through a huge a multitude. The word there is rav. Do you know what, what the word rav means in Hebrew? It means humongous. It means big. It means something so massive. It means something huge. A dream comes through a rav of travail. That word used for travail is the word sorrow. It's the word hardship. It's the word, it's a word that has to do with the emotional elements of something that's very difficult to bear. 
A dream cometh through a multitude of Indian. Are you with me? And this is the word that is used throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. I, I'm not going to go through all the text because that is not our text tonight, but I am just showing you, hallelujah, so that you will understand where we are coming from. Are you with me, saints? If you are, say amen. All right. And I want us to see, um, dear people of God, so we're understanding travail. That first word, Indian, and there is also another word for travail that is used in Genesis chapter 41, verse 51. Let's go there for a moment. Joseph uses this word. He associates and recognizes that all his adversity was being used to advance his destiny. Say this with me. All my adversity, God's going to use to advance my destiny. Come on, say it again. All my adversity is going to be used to advance my destiny if I walk with God through it. Hallelujah. So adversity is not a bad thing. We always want to run from trials. We want to run from adversity because it hurts. It's not easy. But it's just a sign. You see, pain is a sign, not that it's canceled, but that it's coming. Because a person that is a, that a person in travail, that is ready to give birth right before the baby comes, it is the most painful moment. And God wants you to know that if you are in pain right now, emotional pain, spiritual pain, and you are going through a labor right now, and you say, God, I can't take it. God is too hard. God, I don't know how I'm going to make it. God wants you to know right now that your destiny is about to be delivered. Somebody should shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God, he said, has made me forget all my toil. This word toil is the word amal, which is also a word for travail. God has made me forget all my hardship. God has made me forget all the pain of my brother's rejections. God has made me forget all my sorrow, how lonely I was, how hard, how broken I was, how it felt to be in that pit, how it felt when I was sold, how it felt when I when my brothers abandoned me. God has made me forget all my amal. Do you understand? All my travail. Hallelujah. Because why? And all my father's house, because he's now in his destiny. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's worth the cost. All right. So now that we understand birth, we understand, we understand travail, don't we? Okay, we're not afraid of adversity, are we? Even though it hurts, we're going to help each other through it. Turn to your neighbor and say, I will be here for you. Just, just ask me. I will be here for you. I will be here to help you. I'll be here to strengthen you. Just turn to your neighbor and say, I don't want you to go through this by yourself because we're all in this thing together. Hello, somebody. We're all in this thing together. Can I get a witness somewhere? I said, we're all in this thing together. 
It's not God's will that you go through this by yourself. Hallelujah. He created the body of Christ to be with us. So we need to be there for one another. All right, going to the infancy narrative, we're beginning now with Genesis, excuse me, with the gospel according to Matthew. We are looking at the code of these four women. There are certain areas of travail that avail for the birth of the nation of Israel. And we are also going to see this, dear people of God, that we are also going to see this in this uh, wonderful genealogy. So we are looking, beloved saints, we are looking at Matthew chapter one, and we're going to quickly go through it. And we're going to see what the Bible is showing us. The Bible is going to show us women that endured stigmas, stigmatization. We are going to see women that have been Four women in the scripture that the Bible is going to show us um, that were socially stigmatized, that were ostracized, that were very controversial. Let's look at this. In verse three, we're going to see the first one tomorrow, but let's look at the beginning so we understand this is a real genealogy. So first of all, we do see that Matthew does have the agenda to prove Jesus Christ is true God and true man. Say it with me, true God and true man. True man, according to the, he is the son of David, the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot Yehuda and his brethren, Yehuda begot Pharaoh and Zerah of who? Tamar. Uh-oh. You got, you got a woman that is really controversial. If anybody knows the background of Tamar, you're going to say, how in the world did she get in the background? How did she get into this genealogy? Does anybody know who Tamar is? Anybody know what Tamar did? All right. Tamar gave up her reputation, gave up her honor, because it was her destiny to birth forth the line of Judah. Let me just kind of explain to you, because sometimes the Bible, when it gives us a narrative, can make us feel really uncomfortable. Have you ever read anything in the Bible that you say, that's just so uncomfortable? How could that be? Especially things that we don't understand in our culture today that took place in the culture of the Bible, such as you're going to see, you see here, what's going on with Tamar? She's got, she have a problem or what? You're, you're looking at Tamar. You're seeing, first of all, she was the predestined daughter for Judah's firstborn son. She was predestined. But guess what? Judah married a Canaanite. Somebody say, uh-oh. And do you know what happened? Judah's wife died. Why? Because he has to bear the Messiah. He is the line of the Mashiach. And guess what? If his descendants that come from his wife, she had to die, come from his wife, that makes the line of the Messiah illegitimate. Hello, somebody. Did you hear me? All right. So he marries the Canaanite woman. She passes away. But he has three sons by her. The first son, his name is Er. You know, 
heir he set up to marry Tamar. He arranged it. She was the daughter-in-law that he arranged. But there's just one little tiny problem here. Er is also a Canaanite because he's half Jew and half Canaanite. So the Bible says because he was wicked, the Lord slew him. Why? That means he had Canaanite ways because the Canaanites were cursed people. And that's why God gave Israel, God's why God gave the children of Israel the land of Canaan, which is now today the land of Israel. God said, it's not because of your righteousness that I've given you this land. It's because of the wickedness of these nations. Are you understanding this? If you are, say amen. Okay, so Er, which means in Hebrew cursed, he died. Now Tamar's a widow. All right, in biblical times, even though the law of Moses was not yet written, a type of a type of redemption would happen to the widows. The widows, by the time of the law of Moses, the widows, if they had no seed and they had no children and they were left as a widow, it was the, the duty of the nearest relative to redeem that widow. That's the way it was set up. This is before the law of Moses. So Judah says, okay, my firstborn heir died, but I'll give you my second son, Onan. Onan in Hebrew, the beginning of that word has to do with sorrow. The Bible says he was wicked too. And God slew him as well. So now Tamar is a widow two times. And so Judah says, wait till Shelah, my baby is born. And wait till he grows up. And I'll give him to you. But guess what? He grew up. And there's nothing being done. Why? Because Judah, in his mind, thinks that Tamar is the one because there's something wrong with her, that my sons are dying, when in reality it's because he married a Canaanite. Are you with me? And the sons were wicked. But Tamar knew she had a destiny. And do you realize if Tamar was not the brave woman that she was, that there'd be no line of Judah? Because right now, the line of Judah is extinct. Are you hearing this? Both sons are dead. And guess what? His last child, there's no hope for Judah at this point. He has no descendants besides one living that's not married. Shelah. So that means no King David, no Boaz, no Messiah. Are you with me? That means no descendants. But Tamar knew she had a call on her life. She knew she was called by God to perpetuate Judah's family. Are you with me? He's not about to give her Shayla. So Tamar takes matters into her own hands that are very unbelievable. She disguises herself. And she becomes, read the Bible. It's very controversial. It's very uncomfortable. She becomes pregnant with Judah's child. And Judah, when he finds out, says, she's going to die. How dare her? She's going to die. And he's ready to have her uh, 
to have her, um, the Hebrew way that they used to do was to stone, but the Canaanite way was to put them on fire. So he's ready to burn Tamar. So that means Judah has now adopted some Canaanite ways. And guess what? Before Tamar did this, she took as a pledge the staff of Judah and the arm bracelet of Judah, the signet and his ring. And he, right before, as the little fire's being lit to end her life, she says, recognize these. And Judah repented immediately. And he said, you're much more righteous than I. And because of it, this was two babies are born. One's name is Zerah, and the other is, um, one is Perez, and the other one is Zerah. One of them is going to come from that line, the Messiah. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. So you say, why in the world is she in the genealogy of Jesus Christ? Women are never in genealogies unless it's extremely unusual. But Matthew puts Tamar in the genealogy. Why? Because he's setting us up to see, hmm, something is here. There's a brave woman involved. Are you hearing this? He's setting it up so that we understand what we're about to read. He's given us a preface. He's given us a preview because he's about to show us the qualification of exaltation into greatness. Hello, somebody. Are you hearing this? Yes. He hasn't told us about Mary and Joseph yet. He's just preparing us. Hello, somebody. I said he's preparing us for bravery. He's preparing us for courage. He's preparing us for some, for a couple that's going to have to walk through some difficult times. Are you hearing this? Just say explanation obtained in the context. Say, we're going to interpret this rabbinically tonight. Okay, so to interpret scripture rabbinically is to interpret scripture hermeneutically. Set with me. To interpret scripture rabbinically is to interpret scripture hermeneutically. Okay, so hermeneutically, I'm showing you a preface. And the explanation is obtained in the context. Are you with me? Okay, let's look at the next one. Actually, from, from, from tomorrow, we see something. We see somebody who didn't care about their reputation and just cared about the will of God. We see imagery of Christ himself who lost his reputation for you and for me who came down from heaven, the book of Philippians says, who made himself of no reputation, but took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Are you seeing this? If you are, say amen. The next one is found in verse five, another controversial woman. 
And Salmon begot Boaz of Rahab. Uh, we're not going to go, uh, I'm not going to even touch Rahab because we don't know if it's the real Rahab who was the, who was the Rahab of Joshua chapter 2. There's no evidence of that because the, the time frame is not the same. So Salmon begot Boaz of Rahab and Boaz begot Obed of we got a controversial problem here. Guess what? She's a Moabitess. And go to Deuteronomy chapter 23. And look at Deuteronomy chapter 23 and look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, An Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. They shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. This was a cursed people. But yet we've got a controversial woman named Ruth in the bloodline of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's through her hesed. She was brave. She was courageous. As a matter of fact, the Bible says when she, when Naomi told her to leave and Naomi told her to turn back, she refused to turn back. She wanted to stay with Naomi the whole way. And the Bible says when Naomi saw that she was steadfastly minded to go, that's found in Ruth chapter 1 verse 18. The word steadfastly here is the word that has to do with amats. It's the word amats. Say it with me, amats. Steadfastly, notice that. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, she left speaking to her. That word steadfastly is actually the word amats in Hebrew, which means brave. The Bible is showing us Ruth's bravery. That she gave up father, she gave up mother, she gave up land, she gave up country. She was so brave. She's going to go knowing she's a Moabitess, knowing that the people of Israel, no Moabite can enter the congregation of Israel. She already knows this, but she's going to go to be and to take care of Naomi. And so you and I need to understand something is a little bit controversial here. But the Bible is showing us courage. Turn to your neighbor and say, if you want destiny, you better not be wimpy. Hello? No whining. No whining and no complaining. Well, they looked at me funny, and now I don't think I can do this anymore. Somebody gossiped about me, and I'm just shaking. I got my tremors from last year, and I still got tremors from the last experience I went through. Child, start speaking in tongues, and you're not going to have any problem. Just go forward and do God's will. Hello, somebody. Are you with me? Sometimes we don't even realize them when we've got so many problems, we just start serving others and it just leaves. Guess what? We get our mind off ourselves and get our mind on the work of God. We start serving other people and all of a sudden we come under the anointing and it just breaks just like that. Hello? Because we don't have time to feel sorry for ourselves anymore. Let the Lord feel sorry for you. Okay, and he will, 
if you're doing his will and you're going through sorrow and you're doing his will and he sees you being so brave about it, woo, child, get ready for blessing. Turn around. You better tell your neighbor, watch the Lord feel so sorrowful for you. Watch the Lord open every door for you. Watch the Lord do double for you. Watch the Lord begin to do something for you that you never thought was going to happen. You don't need man to feel sorry for you. Oh, I've, I know, I know how much the Lord loves that. Oh, when he sees and he says, oh, my precious child, look at my, my little baby over here. Oh, she's so precious. Or, oh, he's just, he's just been so brave, never complaining, body tired, still serving me, always got a smile on their face, always showing up, but their hearts are breaking. They're still serving me, and they've just been so faithful at it. Before you know it, you're going to turn around and say, wow, where did that come from? It was a blessing. Wow, how did that happen? Blessing. What about that thing? It was just a blessing. It just followed. It just, you know where it came from? It came from your heavenly father's compassion on you. That's where it came from. It came from the Lord that you love, his compassion on you. And it came without you even having to bellyache. You can just bellyache to him. Don't bellyache to man. Are you with me? Yes. Cast your care upon the Lord because he cares for you. He's your best friend. What you're trying to get out of a human being, just turn it over to Jesus. He'll be your closest companion. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, she was a matz. She was, uh, she was a matz. She was brave. All right. Then the third one that we're going to see here, the two went on, uh, going back to, going back to the genealogy, going back to the genealogy of Matthew. And we see, dear people of God, that we're going to see Bathsheba. And how did Bathsheba get in this? It says that Jesse begot David, the king, uh, David the king, and David the king begot Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Wait a minute, we got all these controversial women. Why couldn't you just have used Esther here? Well, she wasn't in the bloodline. But why couldn't we use Naomi? She would have been much better. Or wasn't in Naomi, wasn't in the bloodline either. She just missed it a little bit. She gave it to Ruth instead. Hello. But why couldn't we have used someone, uh, you know, three other women in the line of Judah that weren't so controversial? And they're all controversial in a very uncomfortable way. Why? Because the Bible is going to show us something, dear saints. I want you to see that the Bible is going to show us something very powerful here tonight. The Bible is going to show us something about courage. I want you to raise your hand right now and say this with me in the name of Jesus. Father, tonight in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Glory to God. In the name of Jesus, Lord, give me the courage to do your will. Give me the courage that no matter what the cost, I will be willing to pay it. Hallelujah. 
So the Bible is showing us in this genealogy, hallelujah, that we see that what appears scandalous and audacious, hallelujah, is exemplary and courageous. Say this with me. What looks very, very um, audacious. That means who in the world would ever want to be associated with those women the way that they appear. But the Bible is showing us that what appears scandalous and audacious is exemplary and courageous. God is showing us courageous women. God is showing us the courage. Why is, is Matthew giving us this in the genealogy? Because he's about to show us what is going on in the birth of of Jesus. Are you with me? Amen. Hallelujah. Let's go to the gospel. Looking at uh, Matthew chapter 1 verse 18. Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. Okay, here's Mary's resume right here. Mary's resume is going to be given right here. Joseph's resume is going to be verse 19. Mary's resume is verse 18. How many of you want to see the resume of Mary? And how many of you want to see the biblical resume of Joseph? How many of you would like to see that? What qualified them? What made them be the ones God chose? You know, the word chosen is the word bikira. Say it with me, bikira. Bikira means chosen. Say it again, Bikira. Bikira is a Hebrew word that has the root bakar in it. Bakar means to test, to try. So many are called, but few are Bikira. Say this with me, I want to be Bikira. So to be God's chosen people doesn't mean Wow, woo, you're chosen. You're so special. I wish I was you, Abraham. We're so blessed. We're Abraham's descendants. We get a free pass to destiny because we're Abraham's descendants. Guess what? That's not what happened. Mm -mm. Bikira means tested, tried, examined. Put your hand up and say, I'm willing to pass the test. I'm willing to go through whatever it takes to do the will of God. Can I get a witness somewhere? All right. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, wait a minute. Why is the Bible saying Joseph, her husband? Some people would say, I thought they were engaged. How many of you thought they were engaged? Would you raise your hand? Okay. The concept of engaged didn't exist in first century Jewish Palestine. The concept of being engaged didn't happen till around the 1500s for Jews. That's a European concept. Okay, Jew Jewish marriage in the first century has two components. The first component is the component of Kedushin. Can you say that with me, Kedushin? Does that sound like a familiar word to some of you? Sounds like Kadosh, doesn't it? Kadosh means holy, doesn't it? 
Kadosh means separate. Kadosh means holy. All right. What would happen in first century Jewish Palestine is that when there was a marriage, there would be two individuals. Usually the woman had nothing to do with it. The Hassan, who is the bridegroom, would go to the Kala's father, the bride's father, and make an arrangement and say, I really want to marry your daughter. And so because of Hesed and knowing that there's no middle class in, in first century Jewish Palestine, there's only the very poorest of the poor and the extreme aristocracy. That if you took a daughter out of a house, you were going to impoverish that house a little bit because the daughters also helped earn the food, money to eat and to live. So most likely, we don't know what Mary did. The Bible doesn't tell us because it's irrelevant. But in those particular times, the bridegroom is going to make a negotiation for the whole year. She is going to live with her father. She probably doesn't have but a few conversations with Joseph, if that, with the with public people there, because women were with the women and the men were with the men. And it would be extremely immodest in those days for her to talk to Joseph by herself. Because modesty in the first century is was very highly prized. It was something called sinut in Hebrew. It's a character trait. So you're not going to find uh, it, what today to us, it's no big deal. You talk to a gentleman, you talk to a wife, you know, you have to be very careful that women don't talk to married men. Let's hope so. And let's be sure that we use um, protocol in that. But there, but in terms of of a woman in those days going up and just talking to a man, it would be considered immodest. Okay, so they, there is no such thing as dating. They didn't date. And I don't want to break anybody's bubble because I know it's really great for motion pictures and it makes the scene really good when you see them throwing water on each other, but I doubt if that happened. Okay, are you with me? That's a non-reality if you really want to become historically correct. Okay, so you are seeing that Joseph is negotiating to purchase his kala, and his kala is Mary. He loves her. He wants to marry her, and she doesn't really have much say-so in it. She has to agree, and it's basically, in, in biblical times, a negotiation how he's going to pay the father of Mary for taking her out of the house because the family is going to be missing that income. Are you with me? So for an entire year, this is the way Kedushin was. For an entire year, they're already married. The contract is drawn up. But they do not live together. They probably never even speak to each other yet. They do not live together for an entire year. However, the Torah law says she's Kedushin to you. She's separated. She's sep separated and set apart to you. So that means if she is found with a child, you are still married to her, though you have not come together yet, and though you are not living in the same house. You will have to either take her out to stone her if she is with child, and you have evidence that she was with a man. That is capital punishment in Israel in the first century. That's why they took the adulteress out, and they were 
were going to stone her and Jesus wrote in the sand. Do you remember that in the gospel? Are you with me? Do you understand? Let's look at the evidence of that from the book of Deuteronomy. I want you to see it. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 23. Let's look at that really quickly so we're educated and know what Jesus did for us and see the biblical resume. Say this resume really means a lot to me because it shows me I need to be brave. It shows me I need to love God more than I love anybody else. Hello, somebody. If a damsel that is a virgin be betrothed to a husband and a man find her in the city and lie with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of the city and you shall stone them with stones that they die. The damsel, because she cried not being in the city, and the man, because he has humbled his neighbor's wife. Hello, somebody, are you with me? That's the stage of Kedushin. Say with me, Kedushin. So Matthew is telling us they were in the stage of Kedushin, not Nesuin yet. You see, Nesuin is the second stage. Say it with me, Nesuin. Second stage. Nisuin is the stage where after the year is up, they had little culture. They did this thing in their culture. Okay, they wouldn't tell you what day the bridegroom's going to come for you. But you knew that it was pretty much a year. So when the time comes and it's a year, the bridegroom, the bride is going to call all of her, all of her attendants. And they're going to start sleeping in her house with little lamps. And they're going to be ready anytime. Because in the middle of the night, it was custom for the bridegroom to come around midnight. You start hearing noise in the city, and everybody wakes up, and they start to and start just with their little shouts of themselves and they're all shouting and praising and there's all kinds of music that's starting. That means Joseph is coming for Mary, but that didn't happen yet. Okay, that was the proper way, Nesuin. And he would take the bride and bring her to his house and that was the second stage of marriage. Do you all understand that? So when Mary said yes to the angel, she already knew. I could be stoned, but I'm trusting God. That's what this genealogy is all about. Do you see why Matthew had to present the genealogy? Do you see why he had to use the women that he used in the genealogy to present an argument for us, to present a thesis? To show us the mother of Jesus is pretty courageous. Hello, somebody. I said the mother of Jesus is pretty courageous. That means, that means that she was willing to be stoned and trust God. That means also that she loved God more than Joseph. Because anybody saying, oh, this isn't really going to go over well with Joseph. I don't think I can do this. He's really not going to understand me. Now, now let's just see Joseph's qualifications. This is the most important. We've got Joseph here, and the Bible is going to show us what kind of a man he is. 
First of all, the Bible says, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. What does that mean? All right, first of all, this tells us volumes about Joseph, whether we realize it or not. And first thing we need to know is that there are some words that are in Hebrew with concepts that are non-translatable in the Greek language because the New Testament is written in Greek. Actually, the evidence is, is that the gospel according to Matthew, the original manuscript was written in Hebrew, but the earliest manuscript we have of the gospel according to Matthew is 170 AD. So we, we've never seen, there is no, no one has actually seen the original manuscript in Hebrew. Do you all understand that? But we have the evidence from the early church that definitely it was written in Hebrew. And so there are some concepts that are non-translatable. When you translate it from, from Hebrew to Greek, you lose the concept. And in this case, you really lose it. It says, Joseph, her husband, being a just man. That word just man is wrong. Okay, the reason he's saying being a just man is that in Greek, translated from Hebrew, when someone was righteous, they would call them righteous, zadik, or just. This is why righteousness and judgment go together. But the concept in Hebrew for a righteous man is someone who never breaks the Torah, but it's not necessarily meaning that his character is completely pious. Okay, you can keep the Torah and never break it and just be called the Zodic. That means you keep every level of the law, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're a humble person. It doesn't necessarily mean that you are a Hasid. But the concept of being a Hasid cannot be translated into Greek. It's a non-translatable concept. But the obviousness is, is that he was a Hasid. Because if you look at what he's trying to do here, he doesn't want her to be a public example. He doesn't want her stoned. Are you hearing this? Yes. He is not going to make her. He doesn't want to make her a public example. So therefore, he was minded to put her away secretly, not even letting people know. Putting her away doesn't mean he's going to hide her. It means he's going to give her a bill of divorce privately. So this tells us that this man, obviously, he's a rabbi. How do we know he's a rabbi? Because Jesus is a rabbi. And when Jesus is a rabbi, that means usually that the father was a rabbi. Are you with me? And so we have a rabbi who's the father. Then we have a rabbi who's the son. And so we see that in particular, in studying the rabbis from the Galilee, very uniquely, there was a certain strand of pietistic rabbis in the first century that lived in the Galilee that were known for their piety. And we know that Joseph was a total Torah scholar. How do we know? We know because the concept of carpenter, 
In Hebrew and in the rabbinic literature, we have two meanings of carpenter. The literal meaning of a nagar, which means you are indeed a carpenter. And the idiomatic meaning of a nagar. Idiomatic means, uh, for example, we have a lot of idiomatic sayings. If we say, that was the bomb, you would think, gosh, who bombed me out? But that was the bomb means it's really good. That's an idiomatic saying, isn't it? All right, if you say to somebody from a foreign country, it's raining cats and dogs, they'll look up and say, gosh, their cats are falling from the sky? What's going on here? That's an idiomatic saying. Idiomatically, a carpenter also had another meaning in the first century. It doesn't just mean that he is a carpenter, which indeed he must have been. But because the Bible says it. But idiomatically, a carpenter is someone who was idiomatically known to be a Torah scholar. And the Bible tells us, actually, Hillel said that an Amha audits, a person of the land that means an uneducated person, cannot be a Hasid. That means it doesn't mean because God is saying you have to be educated in order to be a Hasid because of education. No, it means you don't know the Torah. So how are you going to be a Hasid? So uh, an, uh, an Amha audits, a person of the land who's not been educated in Torah cannot be a Hasid. This man's a total Hasid. Look at this. He's caring more about Mary than he is about his own reputation. He's caring more about sparing her from shame. And that is the trend of the pietistic rabbis to never allow someone else to be hurt, to cover up the hurts of individuals, to make sure no one is ever hurt. Are you hearing this? If you are, say amen. Stand to your feet. Put your hands up toward heaven. What did you learn tonight? What did we learn from all this? We learn, first of all, heaven selected Joseph because he's going to teach Yeshua his Torah. Heaven selected a man and he had to be tested. The test was not to get angry at Mary. The test was cover up her shame. The test was do everything possible to keep your own integrity, shocked as you are that she's with child. And do not shame her in any way until the angel came and cleared it all up. Hallelujah. What else do we learn? We learn that after the test, after we've been proven, see, they had to be proven, didn't they? They didn't get a free pass. Heaven didn't just say, boom, I think I'm going to choose Joseph. He looks so great. He's got all the qualifications. He's, he's a perfect guy. He lives in Nazareth. He ought to be chosen. No. This is somebody who's going to be tested with his heart breaking. Notice there's no dialogue ever in the Bible with Joseph says. 
because his actions are his voice. And actually, the Bible's going to prove him. Bible's going to show us, Matthew's going to show us, that he's so righteous and he's so holy as a man, as a pious rabbi, that he's also a prophet. How's he a prophet? He's a prophet because the angel comes to him and gives him a dream and tells him everything. Then he's a prophet again. When the Lord appears in the dream a second time, it says, take the child to Egypt. And then when he's in Egypt, he's a prophet again. The angel comes a third time and says, now take the child back to the Holy Land. Then he gets back to the Holy Land and he doesn't know where to go. And another dream comes and says, take the child to Nazareth. Hello, somebody. The Bible says, if there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known to him in a vision. I will speak to him in a dream. Joseph was a prophet. Hello, somebody. As a pietistic rabbi, the one chosen to raise Jesus. So this means everything in the family is led by the Spirit. Everything in the family comes from Shemayim. Shemayim is going to guide us. Heaven is going to guide us. Shemayim is going to tell us everything to do. Shemayim is going to tell us how long to stay in Egypt. Shemayim is going to tell us when to leave. All of our orders come from heaven, and nothing comes from man. We're just trusting God, and we're just obeying God. Hello, somebody. I said, that is the family that the Lord chose, that heaven chose to raise Jesus. Why is that important? It better be important to you, because we have to follow the footsteps of those that the Bible is lifting up and follow in their footsteps. Are you with me? If you are, if you are say amen. Our heroes should be heroes of the Bible, not heroes of motion pictures. Hello, somebody. I said our heroes should be heroes of the Bible. And those are the ones we follow. Put your hands up right now. Heavenly Father, we give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you majesty. Help us follow God in the name of Jesus. I release right now. In the name of Jesus, some of you right now are being, are going to go in to 2022. God has given you an anointing of bravery. Come on, raise your hand and receive it. Say, Lord, everything that you have for me in 2022, I'm going to walk through. Everything that you are given to me in 2023, I'm going to walk through. I want to walk in your ways. I want to keep your commandments. I want to be brave. I don't want to compromise with the culture. I want to do God's will. Hallelujah. Come on, pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Holy Ghost. This has been one of the most difficult messages I've ever preached. It's so hard because there's no intercession. Come on, pray, 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 pray. Break those walls down tonight. Pray, pray, break those walls down tonight. I command these walls to break in the name of Jesus. I command these walls to break right now. I command the walls that would hold up and not hear this message and receive it into your spirit so that you can grow. I break and bind the spirits of apathy in this place in the name of Jesus.
We will not come in to 2023 in apathy. We will come into 2023 burning with the fire of God. All right, there are some of you right now, you got to face some difficult circumstances in your life. There are some of you here right now. There are some things that you have to face in the future. Would you just raise your hand? You say, I need the strength of God. I want to pray for you right now. There may be someone who now has to walk it alone. There may be someone else that says, I went through financial collapse. There may be someone here that says, I have no one standing with me. There may be someone here that says, I'm going to be stepping out in faith and walking on the water, and I need bravery to trust God. I believe it tonight that God is releasing to you the anointing. Holy Ghost, we give you praise and we give you glory. I just want to say, Carol and Dave, your family, right here, there's an anointing on both of you, tremendous. The glory of God is all over your table. The glory of God is on both of you. The Lord is saying, dear, God is going to be speaking to you so strong. My brother, God is going to be speaking to you so strong. The rewards are coming in 2023. God is so pleased with you both. God is saying, hallelujah, that your path is going to be directed and it's going to be clear. You're not going to be in confusion and you're going to know what God wants you to do. And so, Father, we give you praise and we give you glory. Men, I saw the anointing on you heavily tonight. You've come into a new glory. Yes. You've come into a new place. The Lord calls you a woman of valor. The Lord says, oh, my dearest, the Lord says to you, be faithful, be strong, little pilgrim, because I'm with you. God is saying, I'm not going to withhold any good thing from you, and I am with you wherever you go. Give God praise and give God glory. Shinde Oshaka Makita Stokori Makita. Come on, praise him right now. In Jesus' name. And say, Lord, we don't want to fail you, but we want the power of God. And we say yes right now to whatever it is that you have for us in 2023. Now give God the praise and the glory. Come on, give God the praise and the glory. Shout the victory one more time. Thank you for joining us today on Day of Destiny. We invite you to our website at mydayofdestiny.com where you can easily access other podcasts and obtain your copy of Dr. Corral's latest book, Secrets of the Anointing. Also, we want to take this moment to invite you to engage in extending your hand of kindness by planting your seed or offering for multitudes that include orphans, providing water wells, providing medical supplies, clinics, feeding programs, and many other services to the suffering church and through efforts of evangelism worldwide. Just go to our website and click the donate button or text to give. Text HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. That's HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. You are also invited to visit Dr. Michelle Corral Facebook or Instagram. 
We look forward to having you encounter the anointing with us on our next Day of Destiny podcast.